Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders, a podcast where people connected to autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, I'm your host, Rachel Harmon, a professional with over a decade of experience in the field of autism services, outreach, and advocacy. Have you ever been disappointed by the representation of autism in movies, TV shows, or other media? Or, on the other hand, have you ever resonated with some of the characters with autistic traits that you've seen on screen? If you've ever had one of these experiences, or both, or if you know someone who might have, stick around because today's episode is a roundtable discussion where we address the question, how can the entertainment industry improve the representation of autism? Featuring autistic self-advocates Andrew Bennett, Michelle Vinokurov, Corbin Havener, Mary Johnston, and Christina Kasperson, and fellow members of our online global autism community, Ali Carbone, Cheryl Albright, TJ Laram, and Danielle Terrell. I'm sure you'll find this conversation as engaging as I did. Among other things, we talked about how movies like Rain Man and other early representation of autism led to inaccurate stereotypes, the ethics of autistic characters being played by autistic versus non-autistic actors, implicit versus explicit autistic characters in shows like Extraordinary Attorney Wu, Atypical, and The Big Bang Theory, and the need to increase representation of non-speaking autistics. In this episode, discover what's possible when representation is accurate. And now I present you the Global Autism Community. My name is Cheryl Albright. I am an occupational therapist, yoga therapist, autism sibling, as well as a skilled Carlin. Great. Thanks, Cheryl. Danielle. Hello, my name is Danielle Terrell, originally from New York. I am a transition specialist, skilled core alum, and community moderator. Great. Corbin. Okay. I'm- my name is Corbin Havener. I live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm a self-advocate, uh, former community moderator, very fresh Skill Corps alumni. Having been on this past October, last month's uh, Team Kenya. Hey, Corbin. All right. Michelle. My name is Michelle Vinokurov. I'm an autistic self-advocate and I work full-time as a behavior specialist. And on the side, I work as an RBT blogger and autistic advocate for an ABA company. Great. Thanks, Michelle. TJ. TJ Laram, BCBA and music educator uh, from St. Cloud, Minnesota, recently transplanted just outside the Boston area. Currently the director of in-center services for Tennessee for a company and serve as a consultant and subject matter expert for a couple other agencies and a skill core alum from Rwanda 22 and India 23. Yay, a lot of skill core alums here. Mary. Hi, I'm Mary. I run the blog Autistic Rainbow 15. And I usually just post what my life is like as an autistic. I'm actually working on a special post right now, which will be ready at the end of the week. Cool. What's it about? It is about living alone as an autistic and like being by yourself in the house. All right. You'll have to post a link to that in our community. Thanks, Mary. Andrew. Hi, I'm Andrew Bennett. I live in Houston, Texas. I'm a board-certified assistant behavior analyst and transition specialist at um, community college out in Baytown on the east side of town. Skill Corps alum, also um, new creator and owner of Cooking Beyond Limits, autistic-owned um, online cooking class platform. So, Yeah, congratulations, Andrew. Allie. Hi, guys. I'm Allie. I'm from uh, Brooklyn, New York, originally from Long Island. I'm just a sister. I have three autistic brothers, all like super severe on the lower end of the spectrum. I don't have any like professional experience in it because it's, you know, kind of my life. But I just went and uh, wrote a book for siblings specifically. So that's why I've kind of been trying to get more into these conversations. Great. Happy you're here, Allie. And Christina. Hi, I'm Christina Casperson. I live in North Carolina. I'm a late diagnosed autistic. I have recently started a clothing company 
It's a social enterprise. A portion of our proceeds goes to help people with their fundraisers to get autism service dogs. And I also am drawing free commissions for families that are in the process of raising funds for their dogs. So I'm drawing pictures of their kids with the with the dogs they're getting, and they're using that to take a step closer to bringing their dog home. Oh, it's amazing, Christina. And also, Christina is a new member of our moderator team. So you might have been seeing her recently posting in the community, and she just jumped right in full force this month. So this month's theme, which is actually kind of left over from last month, is the evolution of media representation. And although we did a roundtable before about representation in the media, I think what we want to focus on this time is more you know, how the perceptions of autism and awareness has shifted due to the media over the years. And this is including books and movies. So let's first start with, you know, the early representation in the media. If you want to go ahead and unmute, you can talk about maybe a specific piece of media that was kind of like the laying the foundation for what people know of autism. I'm trying to think right now, like, I really can't remember anything. Most of my experience is like the 90s and the early 2000s with my brothers. And no one was really talking about it then. Like, I was still explaining what autism was. Like, maybe my first thought is Julia from Sesame Street, right? Isn't that her name? She's the autistic character or something. I feel like she was the first one. But yeah, I can't really think of anyone that was like supposed to be autistic other than people just saying, oh, have you seen Rain Man? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rain Man was important. I mean, what year was that? 1988? I just watched it over the weekend to kind of prepare for this. Michelle, you have your hand up. Yes. Yeah, so I was going to piggyback on that too, that um, from my own experiences growing up, like from my parents and stuff, like, to even just find out about my own diagnosis is that part of it was that they were referred to Rain Man because that was the well-known representation at the time and what everything looked like before until how much that we know of today, which is so different. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think were maybe some negative and positive effects of Rain Man being that kind of first representation? Corbin? I mean, in a positive sense, yes. I mean, he was a um, mathematic genius genius, and skilled card counter, but it laid the foundation for a trope that um, it's unrealistic to expect anybody in general to reach up to. It's that if you're not great socially, if you're not maybe well-spoken, well, you can do this thing that's of intense value and useful to us, then hey, that's that's when we have a chance to celebrate you. Mm-hmm. Andrew. With regard specifically to the Rain Man question, I think that it it's one of the things that has informed my understanding of autism in the media. I can circle around to that particular question also, but I think that Rain Man was important because it did get people to talk about it. And it also had a name to it. It wasn't just a disability or he was just mentally ill, which is probably what people would have called it before that time. Just saying the name of it was groundbreaking, but mm. also that there is going to be an inherent risk of stereotyping and forming a trope, no matter what interpretation or manifestation of autism is there. So some people look at uh, Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory and think, well, he's autistic. Of course, the uh, writers have decided not to comment on that and just to deny that for reasons that are still debated. But it's possible that people get an understanding of that's what autism is like, or perhaps in other categories or different characterizations of it in the media. And we can, we'll probably touch on some of those today. The difference between the good interpretations and the problematic ones are are we seeing some degree of growth out of that trope over time? And maybe in Raymond, what we did see was near the end, you could see that Raymond, the main character, was starting to 
recognize and understand that there were other people in his life. And, hey, I'm going to show some affection in the way that he hadn't learned to do before. While also seeing that Charlie, his brother, who was turned around from being a total jerk to actually caring about him a little bit, with an intermediary step of caring about him, but just because he was useful to Charlie's own aims. I think, though, my very first exposure to disability was the character um, Lewis, the Trumpeter Swan from the book, The Trumpet of the Swan, which I read when I was a kid. And it's about a swan who can't talk but learns to play the real trumpet and becomes a sensation. And it follows the rest of his life as in his journey to pay back his father's debt because his father had to steal the trumpet for him to be able to speak and also to win the girl that he loves. To me, it just was like a hero's journey and it was still inspirational for me today. Mm. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Cheryl. Piggyback off of what Andrew said, at least with Rayman, it got people talking and it was right about the time the DSM gave autism its own category because it fell under the MR umbrella, which is diagnostic terms we don't even use anymore. So at least I got people starting to talk. Now, my brother is nothing like Rain Man. He's on the profound end of the spectrum and doesn't speak with his voice anyway. And so there was this, well, if that's autism, if we're out in the community, then what the heck is this? And so like the name of Ellie's book there, like, what do you think that? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, I mean, that was the like, well, if that's, you're saying autism is this. And I think to get out of the stereotype and it still got people talking. So there's both sides. Mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite was probably recently with atypical and not because I thought he did a good job is because I like the sibling dynamic. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, definitely, you know, in this conversation kind of progressed through to talk about more modern representation too. Danielle. One thing that I always like to talk about if anyone brings up Rain Man and having the conversation, because I think a lot of times it's around his traits, but I also like to say, well, think about the situation and spoiler alert, but his brother didn't even know he existed because he was sent to an institution. So I like to have the conversations around, you know, the history of institutions in the U.S. and what kind of perspective that was, you know, for a sibling, you know, you may have had a neighbor, another family member who you didn't even know they existed because they were sent to an institution and in a way forgotten about. So that's a conversation that I like to have about Rain Man. I feel like while Rain Man was pretty stereotypical, it did help like kind of push the topic out there and get it in the media my thought is like while I don't think it's a great movie we had to start from somewhere and it helped kind of build I guess the building blocks to make more media representation surrounding autism and nowadays with more I would say accurate representation, like you have autistic writers or actors actually starring in the shows and the films and writing it to make sure it's not like offensive or over stereotypical. And with all the awareness and social media, I've actually noticed like a huge switch. Like even if you go into Target, they actually have rows of sensory plushies and like weighted blankets and stuff because of all the awareness around that and that did not exist in target when i was growing up like i didn't even know those things existed and with all the awareness in the media i can walk into target and i see that stuff like on the shelves and i think that that's really great that we've gotten to that point that's amazing i didn't know that target had that Corbin. I thought um, with the, you know, representation, I, I was hoping to be able to make a contrast. So the contrast I wanted to make of how differently it can be represented was the representation of the character Lola in the, you know, the 2022 film Cha-Cha Real Smooth. And what I enjoyed about it is like not as 
she wasn't necessarily the centerpiece of the story, but she was integral to pushing the story forward. But I think it's representing a realistic thing of somebody who might be romantically interested in another woman who might be the mother of an autistic girl and what trying to get to know her relating to her and making that effort actually would look like. And to me, that's where representation has come. And not to mention the actor who plays Lola, who is Vanessa Burkhart, was an, is known to be an autistic actress as well. Hmm. Yeah, that is a plus. And, you know, I think when looking at if the person portraying the autistic character is autistic themselves or not, really is an evolution in itself, right? If you look at even back in the day when characters who were of different ethnicities were portrayed and there were like white people playing them. And now, of course, with growing representation of different minority groups, then you see more accuracy, I guess. And so now with more opportunities for autistic people to even become actors or to be in the entertainment industry at all, it's great to see. TJ. This is going to probably tie together just about bits and pieces of just about what everyone said so far. And when you kind of look at 1988, that's not a not a very long time ago in the grand scheme of things. And when you look at the representation, again, just to kind of call upon Rain Man, but I think it's been kind of identified that that was kind of the seminal media representation that everyone goes to. And in my professional experience, when I do speak about what I do for a living, a lot of the time that is often brought up when just talking to anyone it's kind of hard to go anywhere and mention autism without that and as we've kind of talked about as well it's it's uh while there is a benefit to that being the word in someone's mouth there are also the downsides but since 1988 it's been kind of great to see an evolution of an identity versus the evolution of an ailment which was what it was kind of portrayed as then. And now, again, you see representation from autistic persons playing autistic persons. Um, it's more of a evolution of inclusivity. Again, it's not more of a tapping on the glass and looking in and say, hey, here we all are as a people. And it's just been, it's been good to see because when you come from just one singular movie that everyone references anytime autism is brought up, to where we are nowadays, it's great to see. And I know I might be just getting ahead of the conversation a little bit looking at the the present moment. But again, just tying it all together, looking at the evolution of the identity has just been uh, inspiring in many ways. Yes, definitely. Someone mentioned before, like the kind of stereotypes, right, of the autistic savant. And also, I just noticed also some inaccuracies in Rain Man too. Like when the doctor, he's describing the quote illness to Charlie. And he says, your brother doesn't want to be around anyone else. He doesn't want to socialize. He doesn't like people. I'm like, that's not what my autistic friends say. And so like, it would be interesting to kind of have a revamp, I guess, of Rain Man. Rain Man like 2023 with just everything else, you know, that we know now. Allie, go ahead. I was going to say that movie had people coming up to my mom asking her, what's their talent when when she would tell them that her kids were autistic? Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's just setting that expectation. Okay. So Rain Man was what we might call an explicitly autistic character. And there's also the implicit characters or autistic coded, where the character might not be outwardly known to be autistic, but has autistic traits. So what have you guys seen with the evolution of representation along these lines? And what do you think, maybe what are some positives and negatives of both? Go ahead, Christina. One character that I felt like that people have said is autistic coded was Temperance Brennan on the series Bones. I feel like the problem with autistic coded characters, um, it's, it's kind of nice that we don't have to outwardly put a label on characters that say they're autistic, but then the creator of the character is relying often on stereotypes to communicate to the audience that the person is autistic. For example, the character Temperance Brennan, she's always taking things literally. So then people think, okay, autistic people, they don't ever understand sarcasm and they take everything literally. That can be an autistic trait, but it doesn't describe 
all autistics. For example, a hyperlexic autistic person like myself is very into words. And I don't always get things right away, but I'm very interested in getting to the bottom of what words mean and letters and words. And I know figures of speech, you know, I I know what they mean from experience and sometimes even instinctually. So I think that's a problem with autistic coded characters or can be a a problem. Also, because they use stereotypes, especially to tell the audience that a female character is autistic, all autistics, but especially females uh, might practice masking or copy and pasting social behaviors and scripting. So that is kind of a trade-off, one of the trade-offs, one of the downsides of the autistic coded character. Mm. Yeah, great points. Michelle? So I think that from the past to now, like we look at the overall picture that like, I feel like it's still a lot of a work in progress because we all know that like autism is a spectrum. Like there's a lot of different abilities, a lot of different challenges and the way it's portrayed, it's going to impact everyone no matter what. Let's all face that. Like it's like, where we see things that like that doesn't relate to ourselves or to others or so there are some that do you know like for me like I've watched the show with the character attorney Wu I love that show especially like for me that how it relates for me on that one is because of a girl who's really smart and like was able to pass like everything in school which that's what happened with me And then to the point where applying stuff in like workplaces and stuff can be tricky. And that's, I've had those moments too, but like what's happening now, unlike the past, we're also because of more of like our own voices are coming out. We have a lot more in the entertainment industry that there's a lot more collaboration that's happening where there are autistic consultants being invited on to collaborate on and everything. We all know like, you may have heard with Dr. Carrie Magro, who's been consulting on a bunch of movies and shows. So I just want to say that like the entertainment industry is making that collaboration. It's really making a big difference of more accurate representation of our community. I don't know if everybody else agrees, but I think that there is a lot of changes that are happening. And yes, it's still a work in progress, of course. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Andrew. I think it's very helpful for us to delineate the differences between explicit and implicit, but also the way that it's understood perhaps by that character in the universe, as well as by context within that universe. So definitely there are explicitly autistic characters, such as um, the ones in the typical and extraordinary attorney woo nowadays. There's also the ones that are implicitly understood that may or may not have it or that just have so many traits that it's like, even if they don't say, it's like you kind of know. And that could include Sheldon, even though the directors of the show don't want to identify him that way. It could also be that the character within that universe, in this case, Abed Nadir from Community, understands himself to be autistic, although he has not gotten an explicit diagnosis thereof. And... You can absolutely see that in his encyclopedic knowledge of film and turning everything into film. And sometimes he does things with a genuinely great heart, but and for a particular convoluted reason that can offend people because it's socially inappropriate. I think this is like an autistic trait, but he doesn't actually have the diagnosis to prove it. But it's pretty obvious to somebody that knows the code that that's probably the case. And then there are situations like Drax in the Gardens of the Galaxy and the Marvel Universe or DC who have autistic traits, but it's explained a different way within that universe. So Drax definitely does not understand metaphor or sarcasm or figurative language, takes everything literally. The most famous example being metaphors go over your head, nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. (laughs) And it's explained within the MCU DC as his entire species just thinks literally. 
It's mm. not saying autism as in that, okay, maybe autism could cross species or of course there are different species other than humans in here. So that might be an example and maybe highlighting the differences between neurotypicals and autistics, but just framing it in sense of intraspecies difference. But it can be represented in a few different ways and perhaps even raising awareness of autism through a subtle means like that. And I, it's also helpful for us to discuss characters or even personalities that have an act that or a personality or traits of who they are or what they do that resemble autism and that can be beloved for that reason. Thanks, Mary. So I was going to say, like, with the um, trend of kind of noticing characters that aren't I guess the right word is canon, like labeled as autistic or confirmed that they are. I guess I'm kind of on the fence about it because I see people like non-autistic and autistic highlighting, for example, like Rapunzel from Tangled. And I'm like, well, you know, she has some traits that could be relatable to the autistic experience, sure. But she also was locked in a tower for 18 years and heavily infanticized. So, you know, some of it. I think is a little on the nose and I'm like, yeah. And then some characters I think like, oh yeah, like I could definitely see that character as being autistic. So I think it definitely depends on the context of the show in the film. Yeah. Thanks, Mary. Totally agree with that, Mary. I want to take to the other side of the fence and kind of follow you. I actually like, I don't want to be this person, but I kind of resent it because I feel like all the representation is about a higher functioning autistic person and it never ever represents what I grew up around and what's in my household. So I almost feel like it kind of gives like this false narrative that even my highest functioning brother could do X, Y, and Z when he can't even take himself to the bathroom. You know what I mean? So I feel like there's been a lot of representation, which is really great. It's also kind of like pigeonholed and like, okay, so if you're a little quirky, like it almost makes everyone think that they're autistic. Like the Jerry Seinfeld conversation, like it's almost like people want to be, you know, I don't know. Yeah. The representation is great, but I think it's gotten to the point where it's also become like trendy at this point. And you can't just rely on the same running gag or the same like plot and idea and throw this person in the autistic box whether they're canon or not because you have like a funny quirky character they're like oh that person's autistic and then you know when it comes to actually autistic characters in the media it feels kind of very one-sided it's like they have to be either like super high functioning gifted spectrum or they have to be like very profoundly disabled and it feels like they can't really have a middle ground. I never really saw any shows where they ever are like kind of in the middle. Hello, Rachel here again. Would you like to share your own perspectives by participating in roundtables like the one you're listening to? Join our online global autism community, a safe and judgment-free space where all kinds of people connected to autism regularly discuss important topics like autistic identity, dating on the spectrum, coping strategies, and many, many more. We'll see you there at community.globalautismproject.org. And now back to the roundtable. There was no representation of anybody that looked like my siblings either. And there was one episode of House. If you go back to like the first season or two where they had a young child that came in that they were trying to diagnose with whatever physical ailment and he happened to be autistic profoundly autistic nonverbal, and it touched on all the touchstones because in that show they go into people's homes and they look for toxins and they do things and they were looking at the schedule and they were like oh my god why would they ever do that like they touched on some of the social pieces but then on the flip side of that the doctors are really like, then is house autistic and i'm like oh no like let's not you know what both of you said like the over representation of the really high super you know either maybe really exceptional with the high iq plus spectrum 
to, I was at least happy to see there was a little one that kind of looked like something I grew up with. And then the thing that I didn't like was that they turned it back onto the main character. Like he must be autistic too. And I'm like, yeah, you were so close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Christina. The thing with um, the portraying lower support needs, autistics versus higher support needs. I'm a Gen Xer. And um, actually, I believe in the 80s, it wasn't just Rayman. You would see autistic characters on TV and they usually were higher support needs or severe, profoundly autistic, more classically autistic, non-speaking characters back in the in the 80s. For example, there was a show called St. Elsewhere. It was a hospital show. A lot of uh, big stars like Denzel Washington, Howie Mandel, and others got their start on that show. Chad Allen, I believe, played an autistic character that I think just shows up from time to time, but it turns out to be actually a, a important part of the plot. So I think there it's kind of swung the other way. Um, but I think portrayals of both are very important um, because especially in the past, for people that had higher support needs, they are easily identifiable by their parents, by the medical establishment. But for some of us with lower support needs, that's maybe how we came to the realization that, you know, we saw a character on TV that we identified with, you know, like, even Rain Man, which I'm very different from, but I felt some sense of identification with him, just like, wow, I'm like this. I'm very smart with a lot of things, but I just don't understand people very well. And then even more so identifying with characters such as uh, the lady on um, Temperance Brennan on Bones or some things that I identified with, like Attorney Wu. Like, uh, I don't identify with a lot of things with her, but there's one scene where she has a client that suffered a loss and she wants to comfort that person and doesn't know how. And that is something that I just relate to so much, just seeing that there's th these emotions and wanting to help and just not knowing the right way, the right way to do it. So I really see a case for either. Mm. Yeah. And I think just, you know, back to like the implicit or explicit characters, I think that's such a teaching opportunity for the public and for people to see themselves and others if they know what it is. So that's where I'm kind of like, well, yes, I understand the writers don't want to make their autism the center of the story, but you know, maybe like mentioning it just a couple of times might get people to think about it. Andrew. This is a great segue between your point, Rachel, and what Christina just mentioned. And some things that we've talked about, about media representation in different areas, and even also ways that you can relate, even, even if you're neurotypical and you have certain quirks that are common to the autistic community, you can find yourself relating to that as well. So, and sometimes I, you can even find inspiration in people that are not at all associated with the autistic community because of the way that they are. So, I've made no secret of my love for uh, stand-up comments on my previous appearances here, and a couple of people know who I'm referring to in this case. So there is a comedian whose name is Stephen Wright, who is very well known for his dry, deadpan humor and absurdist statements and odd logic to things that he says. And he says this in the most dry and flat tone ever, which makes it funnier. So one of his a couple of his classic jokes that could get you an idea of where he's coming from is that he walked into a, a restaurant that said breakfast anytime. So I ordered French toast during the Renaissance. <laughs> and the humor is that he took this very literally and just ordered something that would not make any sense to the rest of us. <laughs> CJ commented with another one. I poured spot remover on my dog. Now he's gone. <laughs> So the humor is derived from realizing how Stephen interprets everyday situations and even common everyday things to create something really absurd, almost to some extent pointing out the absurdities of society or even the things in our life where we look at it and like, you know what, I wish I could make snarky comments like that. And then when you get deeper into his world and you tell stories about how he went to Vegas and argued with a roulette wheel operator about what I considered an odd number. 
you believe him <laughs> so much because you're like, yeah, I know now he's taking that persona into his everyday life. And it's almost like a rabbit hole. Me personally, I consider Stephen Nurokin, even though he has never identified one way or the other, because he is the representation of what I find beautiful about the autistic experience. And he's made this into an art form. He's made it very accessible to people. Obviously, judging by what people have even written in the chat right now about their favorite jokes from him. And if you find that one person, then it also can open up doors for you to feel at home and to even raise awareness and acceptance. Because I find that I just insert his jokes into conversations as if they're my own ideas. And when people laugh at them, I'm like, these are safe people. They get <laughs> my sense of humor. They get my approach to the world. And I can just highlight to them how seeing the world differently is a great gift. So maybe they can transition from that into saying, how can we use these to affect change in society? Corbin, I know that we've talked about him in the past. So what would you like to add? Yeah, I just, um, you know, I just like that because it shows like from the Stephen Wright perspective, you know, when you get that um, joke delivery, I mean, most people just don't don't see where that's coming from. And then what you're laughing at is you're laughing at the idea of what just happened. And that's always a great direction of humor. And of course, you know, just to talk about what can certainly be improved, you know, when it comes to representation, something that is easy to do wrong. And I know like something that is easy to be disrespectful to is how can we represent our non-speakers and it's easy to do it wrong in a harmful way, like see music by Sia. But I will say in just some archives somewhere. I know I know there was a Criminal Minds example in which uh, Dr. Spencer Reed was doing a um, investigation in a house and they found a, um, you know, a non-speaking child and he realized uh, it was drawn and everything and uh, used, um, and he used um, music, used the piano as a tone to communicate yes or no questions. And I think... What that shows is not only like how how to represent, I think it shows from one coded servant character to somebody who may be not speaking, like what a little understanding in communication can go to. And also, one thing is I would like to definitely see more showcase of the abilities and what non-speakers have to offer since non-speaking ha- has to do with more of a speech as a motor function. And, you know, that's one thing to understand when it comes to speech. Um, doesn't necessarily have to do with that, you know, intelligent dry IQ or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point, Corbin. Danielle. I was thinking of that episode as well, that episode of Criminal Minds. And I also really like the fact that it showcased his ability. And they said, wait, no, like, let's listen to this kid. And he really had a significant impact on solving the crime. Right. TJ? Just in the line of non-speaking, mostly just the questioner, if any food for thought with respect to maybe just not a lot of representation in that realm, I'd imagine it's a function a lot of the time of the nature of which media is consumed, which is a lot of times speaking and how we're consuming that. And so I, I'm wondering then the question I would just ask if, and again, I, I love these roundtables. I'm, I'm here to learn just as much as I am to contribute. And so thank you, everybody. Where is that and help me find some representation and along that line and what, what might be the barrier for that? Uh, where I guess I'm just really just curious. Great question, TJ. Does anyone have any comments to that? The obvious barrier would be the sound things, but when you're considering media overall, you realize anything screen-based, there are things like closed captioning. You can incorporate American Sign Language as well. That is visual. So between closed captioning, which is already an accommodation for people who have hearing-related disabilities, when it comes to screening things, that already exists. So the first thing you think about, there's um, a hurdle removed for that. But then there's also 
representation available for things like, you know, ASL. I mean, Coda was a big recent movie, of course, Coda. Great representation for a deaf community. And also, there hasn't been too much, but, you know, you'd like to see some more, um, definitely like to see some more examples of how AAC and AAC communication can be incorporated into a meaningful dialogue. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Corbin. Okay, Michelle, go ahead. So I do want to piggyback on that because I do, I kudos to you, Corbin, for mentioning that with AAC because I cannot even tell you how much that, like, and what we mean by AAC, it could be pretty much anything, any form of communication, really, not even just with assistive technology, but also with like American Sign Language, picture exchange communication system, like gesturing, pointing, like that's where all forms of communication represented from our community should be accepted about in general. And in regards to representation, I do want to mention about with America's Got Talent, because let me tell you, we just, there's been a bunch of seasons lately. There has been a lot more people that are on the show with various abilities and challenges, yet they all compete on the show and they showcase their talent and everything because it comes to show that like there are from our film community that despite the challenges and everything that people can really shine through their own talents in the world. Like, for example, you have Cody Lee. He's autistic and blind. And yet, despite of all that that's been happening for him, that he learned to play the piano. And now, because of being on the show, that it's gave him the opportunity to pursue music, which that that's his dream. So, you know, I think that just the... In regards to the representation, like a yes, it varies, and it's also like based on like what people pick on. Like I even could say for myself that like going from my own experiences, like going from one side of the spectrum to another, like for me, like growing up, that I was nonverbal till I was six years old, and had very severe challenges, and now to where I'm at today, we're working multiple jobs and everything, so the representation is going to vary and also about like, yes, I do agree with a couple of people like Cheryl, like she was saying about and Allie about with like more representation from the nonverbal aspect, because there are many people who are non speaking, like nonverbal speaking. And so I definitely agree a lot more representation. I feel like a lot more representation of various uses of AAC would be exponential because that way we see like oh like this is how we can demonstrate that people communicate in different ways yeah great points michelle thank you yeah Allie, i was just gonna piggyback on that so i think the other reason why we don't really see like the nonverbal representation is because it's just not pretty so i always like to look at at the stories from my three different brothers. So like my middle brother is like super social and he'll speak and you know, he'll have a conversation with you, but he's super OCD. He loves music and he's like the performer. Everyone loves to watch him. My oldest brother, or I'm the oldest, but the next one is epileptic, blind and completely nonverbal, constantly drooling, just watches TV all day long. No one ever wants to talk about Michael, but everyone always wants to talk about Anthony because Anthony feels good. It's inspirational. It's it's the the overcoming. And Michael is constantly getting the shit end of the stick. But I also feel like those stories are still like super important. You brought up Cody before about Americans Got Talent. And I like I always saw him and I was like, this is so interesting because he seems like he's almost like the the merge of of my two older brothers, Anthony and Michael kind of together. But he has that feel good part that Anthony has. And then he has the the blindness and, and the nonverbal as Michael. So it's it would be nice if we could like get around the idea of like, things don't always need to be pretty. Like we can kind of tell real stories too. You know, things don't need to be inspiring. People don't need to have a talent. They don't need to have, you know, like some things just suck and we can talk about them. Yeah, keep it real. Thanks, Allie. So to wrap up our conversation here, you know, we've with sticking to the evolution and looking at the past and the present, 
What else do you guys want to see? What is the future of representation? You've already been mentioning representation of the non-speaking community. What else? What changes do you want to see in the industry? Cheryl? I think one of the biggest changes, even if they couldn't have the profoundly autistic actor, that they have like somebody on site like Dr. Carey or somebody just to make sure that it's a realistic representation. Hmm. Yeah. So more consulting with people who have lived experiences. Michelle. As I've mentioned earlier, like there's definitely need to be more representation of different communication methods that are being used because, you know, not everybody communicates the same way. So whatever be through assistive technology or sign language or gesture pointing but there's definitely need to be more of that just to show in other ways like everyone communicates differently Mm -hmm. yeah danielle just overall like more conversations just like this one like that we're having this evening more of the authenticity more of the range and having conversations across different settings i mean look at the media we have tv we have movies books you know, let's bring these conversations into more schools, hospitals, universities, and really have people talking. Yeah, spreading that awareness. Christina. I mentioned it once before, but I would like to see uh, more portrayals of, of masking and how exhausting that is. And it can be, and it's, it's a game that many of us learn to play very early. And the thing is, once you've learned to play it, expectations rise that you will continue to wear that mask and it's yeah i would just like to see that portrayed more Mm -hmm. would encourage some more compassion too for people who might be interacting with autistic loved ones corbin okay so before i make this point i just want to make this thing very clear and that is if you're a parent and are any sort of educator um However they communicate, um, do not post a video of a child having a meltdown or a difficult experience on the internet unless you can, in whatever form of communication that they have, have a clear consent from them. So that is one thing. Second of all, what you usually see and something I would want to address is when they trivialize the trigger for what a meltdown might be. Because it's usually somebody that doesn't get the is usually saying like, well, he didn't get this his way. And that's why he's having meltdown when it's really not understanding what that source of comfort, um, what that source may have been. So there needs to be some better point of view to help people realize, no, they they don't want to eat this because it literally feels like sandpaper in their mouth or this ball makes them feel safe when everything around them is uncertain, something that can take the viewer into the point of view to realize that a meltdown is not necessarily a trivial thing. These are things that in the moment are involuntary and are incredibly tough to handle it. And that um, we want to get to a world where people can stop looking at them in such a trivial way. Yeah, that's a, really important thing for people to understand. And maybe even like, I don't know, tips on how to handle it well. If you see someone, I know everyone's different in what they need in the moment, but maybe there are some things that you should absolutely not do. (laughs) And so that can also be a teaching opportunity. Andrew. Following along with the last thread for me, um, if we make it accessible and make it easy or even encourage the development of voices for different conditions, or maybe even for the same experience, but different aspects of it that haven't been brought to light before, and to see how those are valuable. Okay, so maybe again, if we're talking about a comedian, and he has autism, it's one person that I watched with a set frame it in a particular way, you know what, autistic people can do stand up, because It means that you're standing in front of a group of people, you're talking all the time about your special interests, something we do really, really well at. Or for people that use AAC to communicate, that's incorporated in the routine. I was mentioning in the chat about a comedian who used an AAC device 
to tell all of his jokes. And he told them, yeah, it's being in the semifinals is so emotional. And you could probably tell by my voice. (laughs) (laughs) It's taking the stigma away from certain things that most people don't realize, you know what, this actually can be really fun or it's a different way of communicating that's actually really beneficial. And in that particular setting, it's actually funnier because he has the AAC, but also tying into the writer discussion about accessibility, there has to be an allowance in that environment for that different form of communication. Of course, on a big show like this, there's a lot of people coming in that have disabilities of various types that need accommodations. And so being able to modify within reasonable limits the structure and the typical understanding of what normally happens to allow for the fact that he's going to communicate a little differently. He's got, sometimes they have to type up things that people who speak verbally and vocally wouldn't have to do. And then also maybe the audience has to be a little bit flexible and say, you know what, I'm just going to wait here for 10 seconds while he types the next thing out. Then I will laugh myself silly. Right. So if there's a wider discussion about accessibility and it will allow those voices to come out, Mm -hmm. but it will also ensure that they are heard and that conversations open up about ways of communicating that we wouldn't have thought to have a conversation about. Yeah. Amazing. Danielle. Something else that I think is so important is having these conversations and representation across different generations. And I think that can really help foster the upcoming generation and just working on building more community and a more inclusive world. We talked a lot about different recommendations in our community. And um, one, it was a documentary that I think was done really well in a different key, which was released earlier this year. It had a lot of representation, um, even some members from our own community, and it really touched upon different socioeconomic, cultural backgrounds, and, you know, different abilities, challenges, and family experiences. Mm, Very cool. All right, guys. Thank you all. This has been a great conversation. Be well, everyone. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you, everyone. Great time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Or a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Or are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Whatever your connection to autism is, we'd love to hear your takeaways from this episode in our online Global Autism community, where hundreds of people from all over the world come together to support each other and know that they're not alone. Join us today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care.